for coming up and for serving. Yeah, praise God for them. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 13. We've been working our way through the book. We're almost done. Thank God for faithful leaders who serve in so many ways. And by God's providence, we're coming to a spot in the book of Hebrews. On the Sunday after we have put these leaders into office, we're coming to a passage that talks about the church's response to leaders and the leader's responsibility within the church. And so uh, it's very fitting in God's providence that we are in this passage on this day. So if you've got your Bible open to Hebrews 13, we'll be reading that here in a moment. During my senior year of high school, I was on the varsity basketball team. And we had a coach. That's my picture. I saw everybody's eyes shoot up there. Yeah. That's me in all my muscular glory in high school in a tank top. Uh, Our coach in high school was a man of integrity and upright character and a faithful follower of Jesus. And I'm grateful for that coach and the influence he had on a number of people. At that point in my life, I didn't care about that. At that point in my life, what I cared about was Jeremy Nelson and his reputation and his glory. I would have professed to be a Christian, but I was not a faithful follower of Jesus. And what I had learned throughout middle school and high school is that the people that were popular were the ones who excelled at sports. And so while I enjoyed basketball, I also played basketball because I wanted my own reputation to be uh, higher because I was on the varsity basketball team. But a commitment to being on the basketball team required two hours of practice every day with lots of running, lots of drills, and then a couple of games every week that often took us uh, far away from town, getting back late at night and having to get up early again for school the next day. There was quite a commitment to be on the basketball team. The problem my senior year in basketball was that we had nothing to show for it. Our season was 23 games. And 16 games into the season when we had won zero, so we were 0-16, Jeremy, who mostly cared about his own reputation and his own glory, who was finding himself most of the time to be on a bench warmer on a team that wasn't very good at all, walked into his coach's office and told his coach, I'm done, I quit right in the middle of the season, I'm just done. And so I did. I didn't even finish out the season. Now that meant... That after school, instead of running killers and hurting myself and then being humiliated through another loss and sitting on the bench for most of it, instead it was more comfortable for me. I got to go home after school and I didn't have to run during that time. I got to go home at night and when I went to basketball games, I went to watch and not to participate. Hebrews is written to people who had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had left their old religion, Judaism, and were following Jesus. But now, a few years in, they're having a losing season. It's not looking good for those who are following Jesus. And as such, they are tempted. Tempted like anybody is during a losing season to turn their back on their leaders. To turn their back on where they were headed and go off in a different direction. In their case, to turn back to the comforts of the old covenant. 
But the message of the book of Hebrews, which we've gone over again and again, is very simple. Jesus is better. Stick with Him. Jesus is better. Stick with Him. And the message of today's passage, as we almost make it to the end, is this. We follow our faithful leaders as we together follow our unchanging Savior into suffering. Say that again. We follow our faithful leaders as we together follow our unchanging Savior into suffering. If you're able to, go ahead and stand and we'll read the Word of God. I'll pray first because we need help. I need help. Father, I confess that I need help. I need help that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. We need your help that you would cause our hearts, our minds to be fertile soil so that as the word is planted, it grows up and bears fruit. I can't make that happen, but you can by your spirit. And so I pray that you would do that now for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God's Word, Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience Desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be returned to you the sooner. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I mentioned already this passage is bracketed fittingly with references to leaders. You see that there in verse 7 and then again towards the end in verse 17. And in verse 7, it seems that the reference to leaders is leaders from their past. You might notice the past tense there in verse 7. Verse 7 again says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And then a couple of more commands. So to remember them, but also consider the outcome of their way of life. And then secondly, imitate their faith. 
it's likely because of the rising persecution at that time that some of those who originally spoke the word of God to them, some of the original leaders there in the churches have been martyred, have been killed for their faith in Jesus. And so the call, remember these leaders. What is it that the leaders do? Now, he's not just talking about leaders anywhere generally. He's talking about leaders in the church specifically, those who spoke to you the word of God. And now, not every leader is faithful, right? So he's telling them, consider the outcome of their way of life. And if worthy of imitation, then imitate their faith. He's calling them to follow faithful leaders. Remember, consider, and imitate are the three commands there in verse 1. But you know, from being in the church maybe for some time, that that probably you've had some experience with a leader who is less than faithful. Maybe even somebody who would have stood up here, like we just invited these leaders to come and stand in front of you. They've served the church, but they have not been faithful at all times. Or, you also know, from what we've looked at so far here, that the times in the first century are changing. It's tough. And when times get tough, it's hard to stick with a leader. You notice that even just like the end of the NFL season now, as things start to wrap up, if a, if a team didn't perform well, there's people that kind of turn their back on the coach and eventually the coach gets fired, right? People, it's easy to turn our back when things aren't going well. But imagine in the first century what these people have given up in order to follow Jesus. Most of them that are receiving here the book of Hebrews, they kind of grew up with this re- these religious rituals of the Jewish faith. The, these ways that handed down from generation to generation reminded them of the holiness of God and how they could have a relationship with Him in some way through these rituals. And so sacrifices and feasts and certain gatherings were just a normal part of life. But now... After hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and turning to Him, they've turned their back on their old way of living. And along with that has come a number of challenges. Things are changing there in the first century and they're changing for the worse. It's going to get harder and harder to follow Jesus. And so how fitting that the author reminds them of this in verse 8. Just imagine how Soothing this must be. As things change, they get to hear this truth. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's a truth that's so good that we keep repeating it and we keep singing it. We sang it more than once this morning. Did you catch that? And we we sang... The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. That was one of the songs we sang. We sang in another song. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Lots of stuff changes. People change. They are not who we thought they were. Circumstances change. And that's what was happening there in the first century. But the good news for them is the one whom they ultimately follow, he will not change. Jesus, 
the one whom they follow, is the same yesterday and today and forever. This was good news to them. So after reminding them of that good news, reminding them of their leaders, calling them to consider and imitate their faith, and then reminding them of the truth that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we get to verses 9 to 16, the bigger section we're going to look at. And here, I'm just calling this section the right direction because there's a warning about going in the wrong direction first. Verse 9 began with that warning, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Just again, thinking about context, when life gets tough, there's going to be a temptation to turn. Okay? If I know that if I keep following Jesus in the first century, I'm going to run into trouble, what might I do? Turn around, turn a different way. Uh, we went sledding for a little bit yesterday uh, at Cemetery Hill. Okay? There, there, there's a pretty wide open space to go sledding down that hill. But off to the left side, there's trees. Right? If you are on a sled and heading toward trees, knowing what happens when somebody going at a high speed runs into a tree, what you might do to avoid suffering is before you get there, bail out. Either try to turn the sled or just bail out altogether and just stop. That's a pretty natural kind of thing, hopefully, when you're sledding. Kind of a life preservation technique. Right? But here, we've got to keep in mind the context as we read through this passage that, that if they continue to follow Jesus, it looks like suffering is ahead. They've seen what's happened to people around them. They know if I keep going after Jesus, this is going to be bad. They're heading toward a tree. And the message is, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Stay on the sled. Keep going. Right? And then there's this section that says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, to which we would say amen, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Uh, as I read different things, I didn't understand that when I read it. So I just like, what, what do smart people think about this? So I read a couple things. And, and smart people either disagree or say, I don't know exactly what he's referring to. But, but the people there likely knew in the first century, there were some strange and diverse teachings that they were tempted to turn away into. And they're warned here not to turn to those. There's a temptation to turn sideways when there's danger ahead. Verses 11 and 12, though, talk about a danger to turn back. Verses 11 and 12 refer back. This is more clear what this is talking about. In the Jewish faith, they would celebrate every year the Day of Atonement. You even still see it on your calendar, probably Yom Kippur. Okay? You can read about what they do on that day in Leviticus chapter 16. And in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27, I don't have that on the screen, but you might want to write that down. Leviticus 16, 27 is what's being referred to here in verses 11 and 12. There would be sacrifices, and the blood of the animals that were sacrificed would be brought into the most holy place, but the rest of the animal because it was unclean and dead and unholy, would be taken outside the camp. 
Okay? So if, if they're worshiping at the tabernacle and the sacrifice is taking place and the blood is brought into the most holy place, the rest of the animal is going to be taken outside the camp. And so he's referring them back to that. And that would have been one of those regular things that they were used to doing together in their faith. But it says in verse 11, the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And then we read this in verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, I'm not going to go back and preach what we've already looked at a couple of different times in the book of Hebrews, but you might recall the times where Hebrews is seeking to make clear that the blood of Jesus is better than the blood of, of bulls and goats. Right? That, that, that Jesus' blood offers a better sacrifice. Through the blood of Jesus, we can be eternally forgiven and reconciled to God. That's why we, which might seem strange to people from the outside, when we take communion, we drink a cup to remind us of blood. We just sang a song this morning, there is a fountain filled with blood, which sounds to people from the outside a bit strange, but when we recognize what it is that Christ's blood has accomplished for us, it doesn't sound nearly as strange. And for those in the Jewish faith, they dealt with blood all of the time. But they're reminded what Jesus did in his sacrifice outside the gate as he shed his blood. That was good for all of us for all time. A once for all sacrifice for sin. And so, then there is a command. Verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. Remember the temptation of those who came from the Jewish faith. Their temptation would have been to, to stay there. That, that worship of God, relationship with God, was centered around the temple there in Jerusalem. And he's saying, no, let us go to him outside the camp. Let us go to him outside the camp and, listen to this, bear the reproach that he endured. This is the call to suffering. He's, he's acknowledging, he's not trying to sell them on, like, keep following Jesus. He will give you your best life now. Like, he's not trying to sell Jesus to them. No, he's telling them, we must go to Jesus, and going to him means we will bear the reproach that he endured. Following Jesus means the world. Jesus himself told his disciples that. The world hated me, it's going to hate you. If you follow me, the world that hated me is going to hate you. And the author of Hebrews is just reminding them that's what Jesus said. If we go to Jesus, we will bear the reproach that he endured. And so it will look like a losing season. But verse 14, listen to verse 14. And we've seen this argument before already in the book too. For here, here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Verse 15. Before I read verse 15, just 
just again, put yourself in the sandals of a first century person coming out of the Jewish faith. Making sacrifices was just such a central part of their life as a Jew. And I don't doubt that as they turned to faith in Christ, there was something in them that felt wrong when one of those days of sacrifices would come that they didn't go make sacrifices anymore. Can you imagine that? Like, this is what my family has done for generations, and now it's that special day, and, and I'm not supposed to go and make sacrifices like we always did? Well, here in verses 15 and 16, it's like, the author of Hebrews saying, well, you can still make sacrifices. Just not the kind you're used to making. Look at verse 15 and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? We, we, we talking a dove? We talking a pigeon? We talking a bull? We talking a goat? What, what are we sacrificing? Therefore, no, sorry, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. The, the sacrifice that we now give up is we're just, we're just using our energy, our lips, our words to, to give God praise who saved us through faith in Christ. It's a response of worship to the work that Christ has already done. Last week, Pastor Nick read for us in the call to worship Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You'll recall Romans 1 through 11 is all of what God has done for us in Christ. And when we just beautiful truth of what God has done for us in Christ. And then the change in the book comes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, oh, I'm not going to try to quote it from memory. Right? Therefore, I know that's the first word. Oh, nope, it's not. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Okay, because of what God has already done, because of the mercy shown to us in Christ, what are we supposed to do? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's a giving of yourself to Him. This is the sacrifice, not a bull, not a lamb. But you yourself, giving yourself to Him. And then verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Again, think about it in the context. Evil things are being done to them because they're Christians. And what are they called to do? Do good. And share what they have. Not retaliate and fight for their rights, but do good and share what they have. These are the kinds of sacrifices that please God. So we were told about following faithful leaders, leaders from the past and especially Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, about not, not giving in to the temptation to turn sideways or to turn backwards, in order to avoid suffering. And now we come back to talking about leaders in verses 17 to 19. Let me just read those again because it's been a little bit now. Verses 17 to 19, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So what are the responsibilities to and of leaders? Well, we see right there in verse 18 and 19, we are to pray for leaders. Again, we don't even know for sure who the author of the book of Hebrews is, but the author asking the people, pray for us. Right? Pray for us. So it's one responsibility we have to leaders is to pray for our leaders. That's what we did here this morning. I ask that you continue to do that. And there's another responsibility to leaders there in verse 17. Notice this. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Two commands there, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. As long as leaders in the local church are teaching sound doctrine, are truly speaking the Word of God, and are living holy lives, not leading people astray, the church is to obey and submit to them. Obey, to be persuaded by them. Or submit, to yield, or to defer to those in leadership. That's not what's normal in the culture that we live in right now. To, to defer to those in leadership. I, I think one of the ways that I saw this most clearly in the culture around us, was throughout the pandemic. Anybody, and there's a number of you in here that were in some type of leadership position, whether in the community, uh, in, 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 you know, in your work, uh, in the church. If you were in a leadership position over the course of that pandemic, there was no decision. You had to make lots of decisions that you never imagined having to make, and there was no decision that you could make that would make everybody happy. No matter what you did, if you were a leader during that time, you were going to upset not just like one person, but a lot of people, no matter what you did. And so what, what Kirsten and I especially talked about a lot and tried to do when it was like leaders in the community making decisions about things is we wanted to go out of our way to just defer and submit and recognize they probably know a lot more things than I do. I'm not going to sit and play like armchair quarterback on Monday morning criticizing every, every decision made by every leader. I just want to let them know I, I, I want to encourage you uh, and pray for you, and, and I'm doing that. So we tried to do that throughout that time. And I would say, as a church, by the way, um, I, I know from talking to a lot of friends who are pastors that this was something, and we've talked about this before, but this was a time that just caused like little fissures in the church to just open wide up and swallow people up. Little things that had had a little bit of tension, this just squeezed it and things exploded. And so, so churches still broken and hurting and recovering from that time. In many cases, churches unwilling to do what this verse says to do with their leaders, to obey and submit to them. Right? They didn't like everything their leaders did, and so they let them know it. And they got some people behind them. And I've got friends who were pastors with their families, committed to a group of people in this church, and all of a sudden they turned into the bad guy because of one decision that the leaders together in the church made, and the whole family is uprooted and having to leave and go to a new place. I'm so grateful 
that we could lead and serve in a church. We didn't agree on everything. Like even the leaders in the church didn't agree on everything. We didn't even like everything we did, right? But in the end, I could say that you let us do this with joy and not with droning. And I'm so thankful. Our church is in a healthy spot today and able to continue to grow today because we had a church, I think, in most cases, willing to obey leaders and submit to them. That's what he's calling them to do there. Again, when the times get tough, as they were in the first century, it would have been so easy for them to turn on their leaders. But the call here, obey your leaders and submit to them. But did you notice it's not just responsibility of the church to the leaders, but responsibility of the leaders. Did you catch that? I think particularly because of what he's calling them to, he's speaking specifically of elders in the churches. And listen to what he says. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's what they're doing. Listen, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. In our elder meeting a couple of weeks ago, when I read this passage to our elders, there was an audible sigh. Like, whew. When we really hear and feel the weight of the responsibility that God has given to us, it says there, we are keeping watch over souls. We're not a bunch of businessmen getting together trying to run an organization. We're shepherds called to keep watch over souls. The, the report card isn't the bottom line of how are we doing financially as a church. We're going to have to give an account for what happens with the souls of people in the church entrusted to us. James 3.1 says, Not many should become teachers because we will be judged with greater strictness. So it's not just responsibilities of the church to the leaders, but responsibilities of the leaders to the church. So I've already kind of started some application, but let's dig in a little bit deeper to application. I've already mentioned that we live in a culture this is not just within the church. This is the culture as a whole. Would you agree with this statement? That respect for and submission to leaders in our culture is on the decline. You see that? If you, if you work in a school, you've probably seen that. Have a hard time finding teachers and keeping teachers. Sometimes because of the lack of respect and obedience and submission of students but also oftentimes because parents would quickly come alongside their students and blame teachers for their kids' poor performance or bad behavior. Hard time finding coaches, hard time finding people to be like referees and umpires in a game because people are just cruel. And there's a general culture, a lack of obedience and submission to those put in positions of authority. There just is in our culture. And this gives us as a church another opportunity to stick out, to do it differently. Our church, like I said already, has been different in this way and I am so thankful. And as elders, we recognize that and talk frequently about how joyful it is to be shepherding a healthy church. Like our job is not walking around trying to put out fires that are 
coming up here and coming up there. And it's such a joy to be a part of a church characterized by unity and love and not characterized by division and subversive power plays, which are far too common in churches. So let's continue to be a church like that and and leaders. In case you didn't hear it already, let's hear it again to be persuaded, feel the weight of these responsibilities. We're not trying to win an organ we're not trying to win a game or run an organization. We're not in a leadership position so that we can get our way, so that our voice can be heard louder than all the others. No, not at all. We're in this to serve like Christ served. We're keeping watch over souls. We will give an account. Church, please pray for your leaders. And then the final point of application is this. Just as they were called, go to Jesus outside the city, even if it means bearing reproach like he bore. So I would say this for us, go to Jesus, suffer now, gain later. Yes, just like it would have been for them, easier to turn aside or turn back because continuing to follow Jesus was just going to get harder and harder. But the message of Hebrews is, no, you keep going to Jesus because he's better. You must stick with him. Let me say this to us, church. I know that, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. I sent out an email this week with a prayer request in it to be praying for persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. There's a, that, that's a very real thing. We don't feel it, to, to if we feel it at all, it's to like this degree here in this nation at this time in our history. We're not feeling it to the same degree that most are. But I think a day is coming, and I think we would be wise to be ready for it. That we would be wise to recognize that following Jesus in this culture at this time is likely going to get harder, not easier. And so we need to be convinced more and more and more, which is one of the reasons we preach through this book, that Jesus is better. And so regardless of what is up ahead, we choose to stick with Him. It would be easier to go along to get along in this world by simply identifying with Christ and believing what the Bible says about all kinds of different things. We're going against the grain of our progressive culture. We are swimming upstream. And the current's just going to get faster. That's what's happening. It's not going to be comfortable. But just as I had a choice and made a bad choice when I was in high school, oh, It looks bad and it's going to get worse. I'm out. That was my choice when I was in high school on the basketball team. We need to wrestle with this. If we're given a choice between going back to or staying with something comfortable or going out to something that will bring suffering, which will we choose? When the Civil War broke out in our country, I just read about this this week. I I was astounded by this number. You know, there was more than 76,000 Iowans who served in the Civil War. No battles ever fought here in Iowa, to my knowledge. But motivated by a love for their country that had given them so much, thousands volunteered to go to war, knowing that suffering was a very real possibility, knowing there was a good chance that they would never come home. And the reality was over 13,000 of those never did. That's not like one in five 
who went to fight in the Civil War from the state of Iowa never came back. Yet through their loss and that of thousands of more people, there was a great gain. The union was preserved. They, motivated by what had been done for them and their love for their nation, were willing to go into suffering willingly in order to have a gain. And we, friends, have something so much greater to gain. We who go to Jesus, I can't guarantee that it's going to make life better now. I can almost guarantee it might make life harder now. But I pray that we would be a church so astounded by the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Christ, that that He has borne our sin, that we might be reconciled to God, that we then, knowing this, would be a people who choose to stick with Him whatever comes with it, even suffering. Because we know that great gain is coming. Motivated motivated by something like verse 14 that says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us faithful leaders who in the past have spoken to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you help us to remember them? to consider the outcome of their way of life, to imitate their faith like you command us to do here in this passage. And God, thank you that in times that are rapidly changing, (laughs) that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to live in loving unity, on mission together, obeying and submitting to leaders who bear the heavy weight of watching over souls. And God, would you help us together to go to Jesus, willing to suffer together, but committed to sticking with Him, the one who shed His blood for us so that we might live with eternal joy in Your presence. We see your love for us mostly in this way. So help us to see it again even as we sing this song. In Jesus' name, amen.